Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Well, we're going to dig back into the, uh, the parable, so if you would go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, again, there's Bibles around the room, underneath the chairs and the baskets if you need one. Happy birthday, Jeremiah, and then there's also you version up and running as well. So, that in mind, we have been in the life of Christ for quite some time, uh, and right now we're in the parables, and I'm not sure if you've noticed yet, I hope you, that you're starting to put them together, that the parables seem to be kind of building on each other, on a common theme, that it's not just talking about the kingdom of God living now, but how to get there, what things that we need to be able to kind of put into place within that. We start out with that concept of living the kingdom of God now, but then we've been looking at humility time and time and time again. When we talked about how we ought to see riches versus poverty, all came back down to humility. When we talked about what's of value and that each and every one is of value, it comes back to humility and letting that be where God's guiding us so that we are valuable to him. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. And I believe we're going to find that humility has a big part to do with our prayer life, um, how that works, what kind of things make us stumble in our prayer life, and put those things together as well. Now, I have shared with you that system as far as how to study parables and some of the characteristics. I'm, I'm going to release that at this point to you guys. Uh, the, the main purpose of that was to give you another study tool, but I think we have a pretty good feel for that. If you have not been here for a few weeks and you struggle with parables, let me know and I'll get that to you. Um, I encourage you to continue to go back the parables that we're studying on Sundays and go deeper into them with that structure. But I'm going to kind of let that go from the series itself since I think we got a pretty good feel for it. And just read a little, talk a little, and see what the Spirit has for us today. Sound good? Everybody in? Everybody in? Everybody in? Sweet. Now, starting out in Luke chapter 11, they'll already give you the actual reference to Luke chapter 11. Um, <laughs> I'm a little confused on Luke chapter 11, only from the standpoint that there's many great teachers and scholars that call this a parable, and I don't see this one as a parable. So I'm probably wrong, but it is, either way, a great foundational uh, lesson for us to start with before we get into the other two parables when it comes to prayer. And in this particular section, as we go into just like the first few verses, we come right up against the Lord's Prayer. So reading starting with verse 1, says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So for whatever the reason, I don't know if they were impressed with this prayer, if they just wanted additional teaching, if they were just used to John teaching them prayer and Jesus never has, they asked Jesus for this lesson. Now, we mostly know this particular section from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's account of it. And he does give us more to the prayer than what Luke gives to us. But nonetheless, it leads us back to that initial prayer study. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. If you've been with us for a long period of time, uh, you know that I love teaching on the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I love teaching on the components of the Lord's Prayer. 
Uh, I've been teaching on that for longer than we've had this church. I used to do it at a youth convention uh, year after year for the American Baptist uh, just because I love what's in the Lord's Prayer. Not the verbiage, just saying the same thing. I'm not a person that thinks that Jesus says every time I pray it has to be uh, our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name. My cat just got killed by a car. Oh, our Father who just got It wasn't real. It was an example. <laughs> Is it better if I talk about? Is it better if I talk about dogs? A dog ate my cat. I, no, I'm just kidding. What? Protein? That didn't help you. That didn't help you. I knew I shouldn't have danced. The um, no, whatever the case may be, I, I, I'm convinced that's not exactly what we're supposed to pray poor words. But I am convinced that there are characteristics of the Lord's Prayer that if we lean into will grow any of our, uh, our prayer lives tremendously, tremendously. So I'm just going to do the short version of this. If you want to go deeper into it, if you go to our YouTube page and search prayer, I think over the last 10 years, probably three different sermons or so on it. But Lisa, if we could, we're going to put up the Lord's Prayer. And after each one, you're going to see a component to it. So for instance, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. That's praise. I'm not going to do the long version of it, but that's Praise, you are in heaven, you are my father. Hallowed means bought by the blood. So if we see hallowed ground for civil war uh, reenactments or whatever the case may be, that ground was bought by the blood of the soldiers. Your name is bought by the blood. So we have praise at the beginning. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth or in earth as it is in heaven is submission. If not my way, but your way. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, give us this day our daily bread is prayer for provision and faith for provision. Uh, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is a big part of it. Matter of fact, if you look at it from uh, the Matthew account after the prayer, it says that if you will not forgive others, then you will not be forgiven. So it's a very serious part of our prayer and a big challenge uh, within that. Protection, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, praise, once again, it's a, it's a sandwich. You get praise at the beginning, you get Praise at the end, he kind of deserves that. And then the end, amen, which means so shall it be. If you write this down, if you, I saw a couple people taking pictures. If you need to send me a private message, I'll, I'll send you this slide so you have it. If you sit down with that and just start praying and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start with praise and just do a couple minutes of praise, then submission, then provision, then forgive, instead of, God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I need this. Now, God, I need this is in here. But if you make it much bigger, I'm telling you, your prayer life is going to be over the top crazy. If you want to do something that uh, we used to do, and I did as part of the seminar, there's a song, if you write this down, it's called As It Is in Heaven by Michael W. Smith. It's a little bit of an older song now. As It Is in Heaven by Michael W. Smith, where he's singing the Lord's Prayer, and he goes back and forth with different segments of it. And if you take these components and listen to that song, whatever he's singing that part, you are praying, not those words, but that, that particular section. It's amazing, the prayer that you walk out with, if you just let the Holy Spirit move. So this, this is how he, he taught us on prayer. And then he goes into the part that they call a parable. I'm not so sure, but that's okay. I'm kind of a goof. In verse 5, when Jesus continues after that lesson, and he says to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Lord, lend me three loaves. 
For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his repetition, or because he just continues, he will rise and he will give him whatever he needs, basically get him off his back. So this, the scene we have, again, within the context of the culture at the time, this is a much more serious topic than what you and I might consider, uh, though it could be pretty commonplace. Hospitality is massive within the Jewish culture. It's massive within the law. It's massive in the way that, that you live your life. So when this guy's friend comes at midnight, you might think he's a jerk, but you're going to take care of him. You're going to let him come in. You're going to let him sleep, whatever the case may be. And in this case, he didn't have any bread. So he goes to his neighbor's house, knocks on the door, and says, can I get some bread? Another thing within the culture is if I was his neighbor, I wouldn't want to get up either. He has been bed more than likely for a good four or five hours. He is in deep sleep. This is a time where there is no electricity, and they do not like to spend money on oil any more than they have to. When the sun goes down, you get the kids to bed, and you all crash out because you don't want to use that oil. They all sleep on one large family mat, which means your kid, I don't know if you guys, everybody has different opinions, but not that you let your kids sleep with you or not, depending on their age. But for those who do, I'll comfortable with that. I hear a lot of legs over your face and <laughs> punches in the stomachs. And everything. This is more than likely, if you're all sleeping in one mat, it has some intertwining. So if he gets up, he's waking up the kids at midnight. Nobody wants a kid woken up at midnight. Nobody wants, you're not going to get him back to bed, right? And if that doesn't wake him up, the door being shut means the door is shut and it's got those little L-shaped, whatever, metal things with the big old board across it to be able to keep protection. That's going to wake him up getting that. It really is an uncomfortable, uh, inconsiderate situation, but hospitality is hospitality. And according to Jesus, if this neighbor who's waking up in the middle of the night is annoyed and wants to strangle, you will do it eventually, because it's the right thing, how much more is your God? How much more will he do for you when he promises that he's got you? That's basically the lesson that he has. It's a very understandable lesson. Now, we don't like to do that with our kids because our kids, they want candy, no, they want candy, no, and you want candy, no, I want to stay up later, no, no, I want to stay up later, no. You want, and then when you give them, you're teaching them bad habits. So it's not necessarily that this guy's asking for something bad, but it is something, it's the right thing to do, and God does the right thing. When you jump down, he actually brings that up with the kids. We're going to go to verse 11 for a minute. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead um, of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, that's pretty expensive, I bet now, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A couple things within that. Do you know you're evil? No. You are. Yeah. Sorry, Kathy. <laughs> Time to wake up, girl. We're all born into sin. So if we, who can kind of see things from a selfish standpoint, can take and do good things for our children, how much more so than God is what he's saying here. But the thing that's even more awesome within that, again, this isn't for candy. This is stuff that they need. And on top of that, how much more the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit who ask for those who ask him. It's not how much more fish will he give. It's not how much more uh, of the eggs will he give. But he'll give you the Holy Spirit. 
He gives you something much better than what you've asked for. Much better than what you asked for. So this basically breaks into several things that it, it, it teaches us. Uh, one, if you're going to take notes on this, I'll just kind of throw this out. This is not the main point, but it sets up the main point. Um, it, this continues to teach us that he's a loving father. That's point one. We see in both that he's the loving father. Number two, he promises to uphold his own. He promises to uphold his own. He is constant and he is faithful. Number three. Four, he is wise and he is kind. So I'll read through this one more time for us, write them down. He is a loving father. He upholds his own. He's consistent and faithful. He is wise and kind. Are those four things true? Are those things true? Am I the only person who felt like it's crap sometimes because things don't seem to be going the way that I am praying for? There are many people I can share this lesson with that will say, I don't feel like God's answering. I don't feel like God hears. I feel like God hates me. I feel because of the things I've done in my past that he has passed me by. I feel that I can see right in front of me everything I want in my life, and the only thing between me and that is God saying no, staying right in the middle as the wall, as the intercessor. And we can say, well, I've heard the church say before, church capital C, things like, well, you just don't have enough faith then. You've got to speak it. You've got to claim it. If anything's stopping it, it's you. Um, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but one, I think we throw away, throw away platitudes like that to put it back on the person instead of maybe something that's bigger. But I think it's also somewhat of a shallow way of looking at things because what the Scripture tells us is there is power in the process of God answering our prayers and how he answers our prayers. There is something much more valuable getting from the Holy Spirit than the thing that I see that I want in my life. I'm going to find that in verse 9, 9 through 10. I want to talk about this for a second because I think it's probably the, the key point. Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For if everyone who asks receives... And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If I look at that from a, quite frankly, kind of a selfish standpoint, I'm not, maybe people don't like that word, but when I say, God, I think I need this, and you need to do it for me, it's selfish, um, because it's my viewpoint. And if I look at it from that viewpoint, it says, okay, so according to this, it promises me, if I ask God that I want that new motorcycle, God's going to give it to me. I just need to repeatedly keep asking him for that motorcycle over and over again. You guys do not want to see me on a motorcycle. Trust me, it didn't go well. But that, that, that is the, the mindset that is invited here if I'm looking at it from that standpoint. Um, if it's those who seek, find. From that standpoint, I'm going to look at it from... Uh, I'm going to start getting into the one ads or start looking at the marketplace. So I'm going to take and start looking around and I'm going to get educated on it. I'm, I'm seeking it. God promised me he's going to take care of this as long as I do my part because God helps those who help themselves, which is never in the scripture, by the way. And then on top of that, those who, uh, 
knock, it will be open. I guess if I knock on my neighbor's house and he saw a motorcycle, that means God's got his blessing all over this. Because most of the time when we come to God, or at least, unfortunately, when it's not going well, what we're doing is, God, this is my plan. Can you sprinkle a little pixie dust on it like Tinkerbell, your, your blessing on it, and just make it happen? That's where most of it comes from. Now, with this, with uh, what Lisa's put up for us, is given just with three little verses, a little bit more context. Again, this could be a great study for you if you want to go deeper into it. But when the scripture talks about asking, my favorite scripture is if you don't have wisdom, if you don't know what's right and what's wrong according to God, ask him and he'll give it to you. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. That's what James 1.5 is. So now if I'm asking, what if I'm not asking for the motorcycle, but if I'm saying, God, give me some wisdom on this. Should I have a motorcycle? Is this part of your will? Is there some kind of ministry that you're starting through this? Or is this something that's a blessing for me and my family? Or do you know I'm going to kill myself because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing? But, but asking for that wisdom into my prayer life, then all of a sudden it's not just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Is this for me? Is this for me? Is this for me? So if I'm asking and I'm seeking, then I'm going to start getting his understanding of what he has for my life. Then with I'm seeking, if you go to Romans 12 too, and I did want to read this one. That's a popular voice here whenever we're talking about finding God's will for our life. But Romans 12 too says, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and what's acceptable and what is perfect. So now as I'm asking for his wisdom, is this good for my life? Now my seeking is, if I can get my mindset out of the way, if I can take the way that the world sees things and get that out of the way and look at this from God's perspective and find out, is this good? Is this acceptable? Is this perfect? Is this what my father has for me? And then when you go to the knock to open to you, I, I put up uh, Revelation 3.20 we covered not too long ago, where Jesus is saying to us as Christians today, the church of Lady Asia, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens it, I'm ready to come in and party. Tom Hype's version. And so if you go to knock and say, God, show me with this wisdom, with not my will on the on the table, but you will on the table. Show me. He is immediately on the other side of the door saying, I've been waiting for you to open this door the whole time. Isn't that a little bit different than if I'm coming in from it from a self-centered perspective of I want that, God, why are you standing in my way? This is how we start leaning into kingdom living. Kingdom living when it comes to our prayer life. I'm going to jump up to Luke 18 if you'll jump with me. We have a couple proverbs here that are definitely uh, parables because, you know, Luke tells us they are. And the first one is going to be very similar in many ways to the lessons that we just read through. Uh, in verse 1 it says, Jesus told them a parable. See, I told you he did. Uh, to this effect that they ought always to pray and never to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was this judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, 
Though I am neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. No man jokes. Okay, now let's see where I have that quote. So, uh, very similar, but the characters are a little bit more extreme, if you see that. Like, I don't like to see myself as evil. Kathy doesn't like seeing herself as evil. So now we have this evil made-up guy, right? And he's a judge, and he doesn't feel God. We don't know if he's Gentile or Jewish, but he doesn't feel God, and he doesn't feel people. And so the impression we get is the only thing left is him. And so he's this egotistical judge. And on the other side, we have a widow. She's marginalized. She's poor. She needs help. And for me, it's helped with the situation I was talking about earlier with this $100 club or whatever you want to call it, this person that's living in their car right now. They need help. That's the two characters that Jesus puts us into. It's a bigger extreme within this. And that this guy has the power. He has the authority to be able to give her justice. Now, justice is defined a billion different ways. A billion different ways. Um, the two main ones uh, is for us, growing up with the culture we grew up in, is me getting my rights or you getting your rights. That's justice. If you mess up, you get the punishment that you deserve. If, uh, if someone tries to take away my rights, then I'm going to come against you because I, I, I need to stand up for my rights. That, that's usually how we look at justice. I am thankful God does not. Uh, he does have that definition. But if I got what I deserve from God, I'm evil. So thankfully, the judgment, justice that he's bringing here does apply to that for whose situation. But it's also justice as defined like this, what God sees as righteous. That's a better definition of justice. Because there's things that I want, that I believe are my rights, or things that even our country wants, or things that uh, my family might want, whatever case may be, that we have a right to that might not be God's best. I might think that's my right. Why is God standing between the two of us? No, what's righteous to God? What's righteous to God is he gave us his son so that he could pay the price, so you and I can freely accept Jesus as leader and forgive in our lives. You're God, I'm not, I'm following you and have freedom. So thankfully, there's God's righteousness, right? And so this is what he's digging into here a little bit. But nonetheless, this judge is not God. So if he can take and focus on man justice, then how much more than God for what he knows is right is basically what that comes down to. I think there's a quote. If you'll put that up there. Let's see if I'm completely wrong. No, I got it right. Uh, this is, sometimes people like to know about the resources. Um, this is new to me. That's the Church History Study Bible. Uh, it is ESV. I, again, I tend to lean to ESV just personally. That doesn't mean all the others are evil. That's just me. Uh, and all the little notes, you know how you get all these little cheats at the bottom? All of them are, are quotes from uh, uh, church leaders over the last 700, 800 years. And so that's why I picked this one up. Um, but he's talking about this, and he says, his voice does not suggest mechanical repetitions. And I want to make sure we have that. We're not the little kid asking for candy. Um, it means that we are to pray, uh, that when I pray, I know that God is my Father, that he delights to bless me, that he is much more ready to give than I am to receive, and that he is always concerned about my welfare. I must get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desires, and that which is best for me. 
I must see God as my Father who has purchased my ultimate good in Christ and is waiting to bless me with his own fullness in Christ Jesus. That's basically what he's driving for here. Thank you, Lisa. So as he continues talking about this a, a little bit, um, we get to verse 6. It says, The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to the, his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The second parable starts in verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you see the, the audience that he's speaking to there? This is a very specific audience. Those who trust themselves that they are righteous, that they're good, and treat others with contempt. They look down on them. They are not. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He gives us two extreme situations once again, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, I'm going to suggest that more than likely most of us at the first pass are going to see ourselves as the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Overall, I think, we know we're evil. We already covered that. We don't like Pharisees. Those snotty jokes, right? So, so that, that's the first pass. But I wonder at the second pass, if we put these things side by side like a parable does, is there maybe some truth to the tax collector that some of us are struggling with? If I go through, okay, again, I'm not standing up here saying I'm perfect because we all know better and would laugh at that. But the tax collector is standing far off. In other words, instead of trying to blend into the crowd, he doesn't mind that people see him at a distance. He doesn't feel like he's good enough. That's what it is. Some of us are afraid to stand and raise our hands when we feel the Holy Spirit's calling us to. Not everybody's supposed to stand and raise their hands. Some of us. And not care what other people think. Some of us don't come up to the altar when the Holy Spirit's moving on our heart to pray during the response time. Not everybody's supposed to be coming up to the altar. But if that's what he puts on your heart, who cares what other people think? You still with me? Some of us are desiring to pray with an elder when they're standing on the, on the sides or raise their hands so they come to you, but then somebody's going to watch them come to me and they're going to know I need prayer. <gasps> Dear God, uh, you need prayer. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He couldn't comfortably come to his God because he knew he was evil. That's because he's at a place of conviction and he hasn't received grace yet. Do you remember the conviction is just an invitation to forgiveness? But he understands his conviction. He understands. We're not even lift up his eyes. How comfortable I am coming to the worship. How comfortable I am coming to the altar. And not even thinking about praying to God about where my heart is. Or my seriousness about where I've been messing around with the, with the things of the world. He 
Peter's burst. I did it again. I did it again. Oh, I'm sorry, God, I messed up again. Thank God you're patient. Oh, forgive me. Ha, ha, ha. Me. I can't even look up at you. Be merciful to me, God. I am a sinner. Am I the tax collector? Or am I comfortable? Comfortable. He gives us these bigger extremes. I don't know about you, I purposely kind of passed over it a little bit. Uh, but verse 8 should haunt the living daylights out of us. When it comes to if I'm faithful to God, if I'm faithful with my time, what's the big three time, if I'm faithful with my finances, if I'm faithful with the spiritual gifts that God has given me, if I'm leading other people to Jesus, um, am I doing the Great Commission? When it comes to these type of things versus me trying to control my life so that I'm comfortable and everything's taken care of, which is normal for us. I'm not beating you up on that because I struggle with this. For Jesus to give these parables and say, when the Son of Man comes, will we, will we find faith on this earth? Will, will he see faith in the church? Will he see faith in his children? That they're acting when it makes no sense to act? Do you see the prayer is much bigger than what we make it? I'm not going to read it, but I find it interesting that in verse 15, after these two parables, Luke, who does nothing by accident, notice the Holy Spirit starts talking about the little children. And I think it's there to remind us that if we can think and act in faith like children, instead of all these great things that we learn of earthly wisdom over our years of generations, that then we get to see the kingdom of heaven. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.